Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector by speaking to leaders that are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and any headlines will tell you that the NHS is facing a tremendous crisis, record numbers of vacancies and people leaving the sector. It's therefore vital to hear from those leaders that are seeking to innovate and change this trend. I'm therefore delighted and honoured to welcome our guest today, Louise Stead, the Chief Executive of Royal Surrey NHS Foundation Trust. Louise, thank you so much for giving us your time and uh, joining us for this series. It's a pleasure. Lovely to be here. Now, you have an extraordinary history in the NHS as a clinician, as a nurse, uh, spreading back over three decades. Um, The headlines are alarming for those of us that look at the sector. Is it really a crisis which is perhaps uh, one of the worst in terms of workforces that you've ever seen? I think it is. I think that there's no way of putting it um, in any other context, to be honest with you. We've got more and more staff who have decided post-COVID that they want to leave the profession. We've got the biggest rise in vacancies. A third of of consultant positions that were advertised last year weren't filled. Uh, And on top of that, we've got record numbers of vacancies within trained nursing um, roles. So yes, it is a really, really challenged environment in which to work. We've also got, of course, uh, the extraordinary environment, a cost of living crisis, and of course, industrial action uh, on a scale which we haven't seen for a very long time. What effect would prolonged strike action have in terms of patient care and delivery? Well, it's definitely going to have an effect on patient care. Um, And you can see that at hospitals where their nursing staff have been striking. Uh, The Royal Surrey staff didn't uh, vote in enough numbers to strike, uh, but that doesn't mean they're not sympathetic with their their colleagues. But it will take a a real change, I think, in in policy. People getting around the table, trying to work out exactly what they can do to encourage um, nurses back into the profession and back into thinking it is the right thing to do. Um, And it's a job for the future. So uh, it's not just about pay. It's about conditions. It's it's about so many other things. So um, a million dollar question, I guess, is uh, what can be done in terms of accelerating a resolution of the strike action? Because it is, as you say, it's not about pay. Um, nurses have, as many of the other workers in the NHS, faced real terms uh, pay decreases over the last decade. But it is a little bit more than that that's at stake. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, it is just going to be sitting down and listening really, really carefully and seeing what of those demands can be met. Um, I think there's a there's a great deal that we can be done around flexible working, um, around other sorts of remuneration, around how we um, we look at some of those lower bands of nursing. You know, it's only it's five years to get to the top of a a band. Uh, you know, a band five. How how can we change that and make it more attractive to stay by the bedside? Because uh, that that it isn't at the moment. Well, we'll have to watch this space, I guess. Um, There's obviously been a significant change uh, in terms of the landscape uh, across the NHS and and indeed social care. Um, The statutory basis for integrated care systems uh, last year. Is that having an effect or does that hold a promise uh, in terms of more collaboration, in terms of the workforce? I know you're, of course, have your role um, within the Surrey Heartlands ICS and you're an integrated trust anyway in terms of the community practice that you took over in Guildford and Waverley several years ago. I think there are real opportunities. Uh, With all of these things, it takes time for them to be delivered. But I think there will be attractions to being employed by a system. 
Uh, and if you just look at our own experience of running community services, uh, we're we're seeing nurses move over. We've just recently taken a, a surgical matron who's gone to be um, a head of nursing in the community. Now, that isn't a, a job she would normally have gone for, but because it's part of the same trust and she knows she's going to get the same support and she knows how it all works, she's doing a brilliant job. Um, that's a real example of how when you work in those bigger matrix organisations, there are opportunities that... When you see the support around you, and I think it will be exactly the same with the ICS, you can take those sort of leaps into the unknown, knowing that there is that support behind you. And was that part of the thinking uh, when you did take over those services? Was that uh, something that's evolved in terms of the fluidity uh, of the workforce being able to break down? Because traditionally there have been boundaries between social care and and the NHS. And particularly with your profession, nursing, it's not naturally associated in people's minds with a community setting more in an acute setting. No, it absolutely, you know, I think that that's been a bit of an unintended consequence. Uh, We took over the community services thinking that if we didn't have that boundary between getting someone out from the acute and into a different environment, then we'd have that seamless rehabilitation. I mean, there are so many things that have changed as well since COVID. So the benefit of having smaller sites that aren't on your main acute site where you can keep some semblance of things like green diagnostics has really made a massive difference. And and we know more and more that people are, you know, want to have care closer to home. They want to feel they can go bizarrely it's turned on its head isn't it so it used to be you wanted to go to the big monolith which was the hospital now actually you'd much prefer to go and have your care in a in a community setting uh, that's much closer to home because you know that the expertise and the technology there is just as good as it is at the at the main hospital and just stepping back a little bit you've been um, at the trust in various roles now for i think in your 12th year ceo in your fifth year there's a lot of things that, of course, I'm sure you're proud of. Uh, I wanted to touch upon uh, what, what I found very interesting was that you're, I think you're the fourth largest cancer centre in the UK, which is not something you'd naturally assume when they're the size of the trust. So is that something that's been a, a strategic policy? Because that offers great uh, uh, learning and development in terms of career pathways for clinicians. Yes, I mean, it is definitely a strategic intent. I think that we are... You know, we're perfectly placed within within Surrey. We we have a really big catchment as we're part of the Surrey and Sussex Cancer Alliance, which I chair. So there are two cancer centres in that, Brighton and the Royal Surrey. And I think, once again, that goes back to care closer to home uh, and particularly things that we've been looking at, like we've had a mobile chemo van that's been going out. Um, all of those things enable people to have uh, the right sort of care. Uh, and you're right, with a with a fourth busiest. So, you know, if you're a DGH with 500 beds, that, that's quite a lot. Uh, we get through about 130 deliveries of chemotherapy every day. And of course, you know, that keeps growing and growing. I wanted now to focus a lot more on the, the trust strategy, the 22-25 trust strategy. I think the idea that the workforce has been through a tremendous challenge is, is an obvious statement, the well-being um, and, and your true uh, North um, goals are to support that well-being. Now, historically, the trust has rated very highly in terms of staff engagement, etc., which is fabulous. But just wanted you to elaborate how important that initiative is and what you've been doing, because that is truly enabling the, the workforce to be at the top of their licence. Yes, I think that it was something that really hit home during the pandemic. I think that as we've come out of that, we've got a workforce that is exhausted. 
And of course, we've got to recover all the targets that were sort of slipped during COVID because we couldn't do some of that work. So not just are we coming out of the most emotionally stressful time for staff, but we're now asking them to work even harder. And I think we were really conscious of how we needed to support staff. So we've sort of got four pillars that we're looking at around that. So looking at physical health, looking at um, mental health, looking at sort of social um, wellness, uh, and also a financial wellness, because, you know, all of those things, we've already talked about the cost of living, all of those things are real issues, particularly when you live in quite an expensive part of the world in Surrey you know you have to get to Guildford and you know 10 miles up the road you would get in a London waiting so uh, what what's going to make us more attractive is that support we wrap around our staff so we've done a lot of things to try and have you know hardship funds um, we make sure that everybody has got access to occupational health and to mental health support online so you know if it's two in the morning and you're you know, you've got a really bad situation, you can ring someone and speak to someone. Um, we're trying to put in sort of more, you know, yoga and exercise um, regimes. And uh, we've we've built something called the well, the wellbeing cabin where we run some of those, uh, some of those activities. And I think also just, you know, making sure that people have got easy access to things like um, musculoskeletal services. So, you know, you come to work, you hurt your back, you hurt your leg, you go straight to see a physio. You haven't got to think, oh, well, I've got to go and see my GP. You know, all of those things are very supportive for staff. Um, the Royal Surrey talks a lot about being a Royal Surrey family. And I think that, that that's very important. Uh, I think we do have a level of support that I you know, I've not seen another other trust that I've worked in. No, and that's fabulous. And there's a couple of initiatives, I think, if we also broaden that well-being to to include um, the importance of inclusion, um, a menopause cafe, things like that. This is not something that you see as a silo, which it should be separated from well-being. Oh, no, absolutely not. And yes, you're absolutely right. We're doing a lot around um, women in leadership, around um, some of our disability networks. And as you say, you know, things like the Menopause Cafe have got a lot of traction and, and are really, really well supported. And one of the key things that we've seen over the period since the pandemic and subsequently um, is the ubiquity of technology to enable um, some innovation, uh, but also people to be able to work with in an environment much more effectively. Because one of the key things that you have to do, and I just want to touch upon that briefly, is one of your uh, key strategic objectives is patient care, absolutely number one, empowerment of the workforce. But we can't forget the environment that we're working in because and you've made a commitment to uh, deliver a, a financial surplus, which is a, a bold commitment uh, given the inexorable demand that we have. Yeah, I'm not sure we'll be delivering that financial surplus. It would be great to break even. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And we need to embrace new technologies and digital support for our staff. Uh, we have bought in an electronic patient record this year. That's had its challenges, as it does, I'm sure, in, in, in every trust. But I think we are now beginning to see some of the benefits of that. Uh, you know, you can see if you're, if you're the consultant on call, you can see all your patients and, and how they're doing you know, from your computer, you know exactly what's happening. We haven't lost a drug chart since. Um, you know, so there, there are things that are little things like that that make a big difference to, mm. to day to day. Um, and I think that, you know, lots of other, we're really trying to make sure that things like HR are self-service, you know, nobody wants to have to try and book their doctor rotors or their locum shifts. You know, it is all ideally going to be something you can do from your phone really easily because all of those things make a difference to everybody's day-to-day -day life and that's before we start on the sort of medical and nursing technologies. 
I'm just touching upon that. Obviously, we've had um, uh, the urgent and emergency care plan, more more ambulances, etc. Um, one aspect I want to touch upon is obviously the uh, promotion of the idea of virtual wards. Uh, and we have some eye-watering numbers, some aspirational numbers, yeah. 50,000 patients a month in, in in a couple of years. I mean, it's, it's a grand plan. It will require uh, agility technologically to deliver and a workforce that's technologically knowledgeable and agile. Do you see a lot of hope there? I mean, you're a clinician with a huge amount of experience. Where are we at? It's early doors, of course, but it's a, a vision that perhaps could transform the workforce. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And we, we've talked for years, haven't we, about, you know, it isn't that we don't have enough NHS, enough beds, because everyone's got their own bed. Um, but how can we support that care at home? I think virtual wards will make a massive difference. It will allow people to um, escalate when they need to, to contact someone immediately. Um, I mean, we're just starting out. We've got very small numbers of patients in our virtual ward. And in fact, the care they're getting at the moment is, you know, is probably the best care anyone's ever getting uh, because the consultants are so and the team our MDT team are so engaged in what's happening to them because everyone does want this to succeed it, it will be difficult scaling it out um, because people will have to withdraw from that level of intervention um, but I think we, you know we'll learn as we go along but I think is absolutely the, the right way forward uh, and if you can communicate easily and quickly mm. with your team via a tablet or whatever you know, you've got the reassurance that you can stay at home. And I think that's the biggest thing about it for both for patients and carers. They're so worried they're going to get it wrong. If you can get that immediate reassurance, then you're happy to, to stay at home and know that someone's going to come out to you. You've talked about the potential and the future technologically. Uh, and let's talk about that just briefly around clinical practice, such a huge topic, uh, whether you're a doctor or a nurse or an allied health professional. Uh, but the use of robotic surgery is uh, ubiquitous and you're, I think, the second largest provider as a trust. That's made uh, a dramatic difference in terms of efficiency and meeting patient demand? Yes, absolutely. And it was definitely a strategic intent alongside the fact that we are a cancer centre. So our ambition is always to provide the best and safest care we can for our patients. Uh, we know that length of stay is shorter, uh, recovery is quicker, and that is absolutely what's important to our cancer patients. Absolutely. And with uh, uh, emphasis on efficiency targets, it, it can only help. One very final question. I'm tempted because um, it, it, you've talked about technology and the vision that you have within your strategy. It's a huge topic, but um, the promise of AI and data and analytics we're beginning to see the fruits of that. That's very much within the vision of the trust as we look forward. Oh, yes, absolutely. And we're already doing quite a lot of that. Um, we have a, a collaboration um, with Google that's looking at uh, the efficiency of looking at uh, mammograms. So AI versus um, versus real people. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've, we've got some other plans uh, in play at the moment, particularly around looking at AI directing patients in positioning for radiotherapy to make sure we've got exactly the best position. And you would expect with being a cancer centre, we've got another uh, project underway, which is looking at not just the outcomes, it's looking at behavioural models and AI uh, as patients go through chemotherapy. So it's a really exciting study part of the landscape um, and the ecology of the workforce uh, has changed dramatically. We now have, as you mentioned, flexibility, different roles, technological uh, agility that's been required. I want to touch upon the importance of learning and development to allow a variegated way for people to enter the profession, whether it's nursing or medical profession, caring profession, non-clinical. We have to expand the thinking to uh, attract the workforce. So 
you're a visiting professor, of course, at the university there. How have you seen new roles evolving and has that been part of the progress that you've made in terms of engaging the workforce? Yes, absolutely. We've got roles now that we definitely didn't have 10 years ago. And I think that entrance into healthcare is is so diverse now. Apprenticeships have made a massive difference. Um, If you look at the apprenticeship levels going all the way up to master's, and we've had a a collaboration with the university business school at Henley uh, in order to use some of that apprenticeship money to look at master's for some of our more senior uh, managers. And I think that there are so many different ways now that we're supporting people into healthcare. So there are, as I said, apprenticeships. We've got collaborations with local schools so that people come and have sort of taster days. So they could really see that working in healthcare is not just about being a doctor and a nurse. Um, you know, people don't know what radiologists do. They don't know what nuclear medicine uh, doctors do. They don't know what our sort of computer um, analysts do. And actually, that's a really exciting area to work in healthcare. So I think if you think any, any job, we've probably got a role in a hospital that does some of that. Because normally the association, of course, is with clinical roles, yeah. but there are a myriad of opportunities in careers, whether it's finance, and marketing, whatever it might be. And I think you've um, instigated the health and social care careers evening at schools yep. uh, to allow people at a younger age to perhaps see the NHS in a more broader context. Yes. And particularly with our, we've got a school just up the road from us. So really trying to, as I say, expand those horizons about what you can do, you know, come in and, you know, do some work experience with us, come and do some volunteering, see what the other roles could be. Volunteering doesn't have to be, you know, wheeling a trolley around. It can be going to work in the marketing department and seeing what happens there or the comms department. So, yes, we're really trying to to push that, to make sure we grow our own and that the real role of being an anchor institution is something that means something in, in Guildford. And we're, we're really mindful of our role as, you know, we're right next to the university between us. We employ most of the people in, in, the, in the surrounding area. So we, we have to take that responsibility seriously. And in terms of attracting the workforce, the, the role as an anchor institution goes beyond simply an employer, but also a contributor to thinking and the local economy. Yes. And I think we're an active part of, you know, the, the Guildford Surrey board. So uh, that's all the people who have a real interest in employing people or developing people or, you know, planning for the future of, of the area. So I think that's, that's one of the things I take very seriously in my role. Planning for the future, looking ahead, um, I'd like to take the opportunity to um, meditate upon how important leadership is going to be as we transform the long-term plan, talks around the transformation of services, the context of services. But as a clinician, um, I don't hate to remind you, but you know, <laughs> in, in your fourth decade uh, as, a, as a clinician, but as a, <laughs> and, and, a, and a chief executive uh, um, nearly for five years, um, what advice would you give to those that uh, aspire to now join and follow in your footsteps uh, as a nurse, uh, a very different environment, great opportunities and challenges, uh, but who may actually look beyond the vocational interest, but also to leadership potential? What advice would you give? Because you've been in director of nursing roles, many roles over the over your career. What would be perhaps the two or three key things that you'd say, if that's a, a path for you, you're welcome and the opportunity is there? So I think the NHS is such a remarkable organisation to work for. So if I think of all the jobs I've had along the way, but you're still under the same umbrella of the NHS, and that gives you such opportunity to move sideways as well as to move up. And I think that's really, really important. Um, no, no path 
to be a chief exec is, is a straight path. Um, so I think there are so many opportunities and it's good to take those different opportunities. You don't have to be a clinician. You can do a management role. You can do very, very different roles. I think that leadership in the NHS has changed a lot. We talk about leaders at every level of the organisation. I think in the past, you know, you were a leader when you got beyond a certain band. That's not the case now. It is very much, you know, you might be the leader of a shift or the leader of a small department. And, and I think that clinical leadership is really important. I know there are lots of, lots of chief execs who haven't had a clinical background. I honestly think it helps me do my job every day. Mm. And I think particularly for women in um, healthcare, there is a, a real... A perception maybe that, you know, you can work part time and you can take some time out and you can absolutely come back mm. and, and get to wherever you want to get to. I've had term time contracts, part time contracts, you know, all of those have have been brilliant for different times in my life. And I think, you know, the one piece of advice I think I would give to people who want to go into leadership and want to go up the management ladder is, you know, make sure you, you come into that with your whole self. You know, people want to hear that you're a scout leader on a Tuesday night. That That's great. That gives you some other insight into the community you're working in. Don't feel that this has to be, you know, everything, because we all come with, with different parts and different uh, attributes to contribute. Absolutely. And I, I think final point for me is also the pushing the boundaries in thinking and innovation, uh, encompassing systems, as we've talked about, but also uh, industry, the private sector, government policy. I'm thinking in particular uh, for clinicians and non-clinicians, um, the NHS has an entrepreneurship program yeah. that asks people to challenge what we're doing in terms of delivery and what's going on in terms of diagnostics. So I guess it's, as you say, the whole person and don't be afraid to challenge the status quo. No, absolutely. We have a great scheme called Bid for Better. So, you know, our, any of our staff can come and say, I can make this better if you give me a bit of seed funding. You know, it's a, a sort of dragon's den for the, for the NHS, uh, but on a very small scale. And, uh, you know, it, people really like that. They really like to say, actually, I could make this better. And people who've won some of that money last year, we do it in conjunction with the University of Surrey, they've gone from, you know, sort of healthcare assistants right up to senior managers. Well, on that inspirational note, I'd like to thank you, Louise Stead, for your time uh, and your passion. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcast from. And if you want to understand how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you and goodbye.